Coming live from Bend, Oregon, USA is our guest tonight. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Michael Harris, author, coach, trainer, yoga teacher, entrepreneur, and co-founder of Endless Stages. Welcome to the show, Michael. It, it's really great to be here. And I'm just, I'm really excited. Anything to do with India, I'm always really excited about. And just because I'm, I'm a yoga teacher and I'm a storyteller, and I think India is like the king of both of those, of both yoga and storytelling, you know, the Mahabharata and, you know, Bollywood, all the productions they do. It's just a, it's just a remarkable country and I love everything about it. So thank you for asking me to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you to have you on the show and learn so much from you because uh, you are the master of several things and uh, today we'll be trying to focus on you know learning from the from failures because that's what a lot of people uh, are afraid of they fear to fail and then uh, when they don't learn anything out in their lives because they they fear to fail then they really fail later on and so the topic as as it says is how even miserable failures can take us to the top so we'll be focusing on that so that a lot of people who feel that you know they have not done so great or are fearful of failure or have you know fallen down a couple of times mm -hmm. they know that it is time to get up and learn from them so uh, michael tell us about you know about yourself you know uh, why is every story you are a storyteller why is every story so important and here we are talking about everybody who is fearful of failure or who has just, you know, don't know what to do uh, after after a particular setback. And their story is waiting to happen. And that is why I ask you, why is each story so important? Yeah. You, you know, failure is, it, it's almost a misnomer. It's almost like failure needs to be redefined. And I mean, even like, Michael Jordan, you know, one of the most famous basketball players in the world, he missed more shots at the closing uh, buzzer, you know, at the end of the game that lost games than he made winning shots that won games. So think about that for a minute, making more losing shots than the winning shots, yet he was still considered one of the best basketball players in the world. And there's example after example of that. Now, certainly there's, you can take failure. You know, many people have had, have had relationship failures, financial failures, business failures, health failures. And those are something that, you know, maybe many of your listeners have experienced, certainly I've experienced that as well. And one of the things that, that I discovered for myself is that, you know, really failure is like, 
Oh, it, it's kind of like a negative motivation, right? Because a lot of it that I found for me is my ego gets crushed if I fail, right? I don't want anybody to know, you know, I, you know, the last thing that, that, that I want to do is to talk about it. Yet, for me, I discovered that talking about it is what actually helped me move beyond it and to actually use that so-called failure as energy to propel myself forward, right? I'll, I'll, I'll take a couple of examples of that. Sure. So, you know, I wrote this book, Falling Down, Getting Up, right? And it's really mostly about the first 30 years of my life and all the falling down that I did. I, I had a water skiing accident as a kid. I had a near-death experience. They took out 60% of my liver. I was in a coma for 10 days. Um you know, and that really affected my self-esteem. I had a lot of self-doubt after that. I was healing physically. It took me a period of time to heal. But that self-esteem, that self-doubt really set in. You know, and I started drinking too much and hanging around with the wrong people. And then by the time I was 27, they were ready to cut my legs off. I had vascular disease. Uh, my right leg was 100% blocked, and my left leg was 65% blocked. Now, I'm telling the short version of this uh, because there is a longer version, but the short version is I presented to the doctors and the vascular surgeons, some of the best vascular surgeons in the world, saying that I was going to lose my legs and I was going to lose my life. And in no uncertain terms and with a certain amount of profanity, I said, no, that's not going to happen. Well, that was 1986. And here I am, you know, 30, how, how many years is that now? 36 years ago. And I'm still alive. Alive and kicking. <laughs> alive and yes, kicking too. I'll kick. Um, and Part of the reason that, that I'm here today is also because of yoga and for what your country brings to the world. So I could barely walk. I couldn't walk 10 feet. I was on a cane. I was told to start walking by some doctors down in Southern California. And I started walking up and down the boardwalk um, at Santa Monica, about Santa Monica, down to Marina del Rey, for those people that know that area. And within two weeks, I started walking. I, I started at 10 feet, and then I ended up walking about two miles a day without cane, without assistance, without any help. And at the same time, it's where I started my first yoga class, was 1987 in Santa Monica, California. And I started this first yoga class and I ended up, I, I was actually living in Portland, but the, the center I was in was in Southern California. And I went back to Portland and started doing more yoga, you know, and I started showing up at these yoga studios with these strange looking yoga looking people with robes on, on the wall. And like, who are these people? And with names I still can't really pronounce, but you know, people 
that I became familiar with, like uh, Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda, and a lot of that. And as I started doing more yoga, and there, there's a point to this story about the failure part of it. I started doing more yoga. I kept feeling better. I did a lot of Ashtanga yoga. I ended up with three different certifications. I did a lot of Bikram yoga, which is the hot yoga. And that really changed my life. And one of the things that I was told was by Bikram, because I got in an argument with him in 1998, and he said, Michael, don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just do the yoga. And I have to tell you, that's the single biggest lesson that I've ever learned in yoga. It's not how to do pose or how to sit cross leg or how to do headstand. It was don't worry about it. Forget about it. I was holding on to this idea and, you know, I was worrying about my health. I was worrying about my legs. I was worrying about my relationship. You know, I didn't want to forget about it. And I got to tell you, as soon as I let that go, as soon as I understood that, everything changed. My body healed. My postures in yoga began to open up. And I just, just don't mean physically. I mean, energetically, there, there, there was an opening. So this thing that I called the failure, this thing that I called, you know, my my drinking, this thing that I called my uh, vascular disease, those things literally went away. They disappeared. You know, they actually disappeared in, in 88, but um, the drinking did, the, the leg pain went away when I was studying with, with Bikram for a couple of months. It totally went away that I thought that I was going to live with the rest of my life. Okay, now a little bit more about this, how miserable failure can take you to the top. And again, I invite all the listeners and anybody here that's ever had any failures in your life, which I suspect is probably everybody here at some point, and to look at what those failures really propelled you to do in your life. Because I find and I found that those failures is the reason that I was able to achieve what I've achieved in my life. You know, whether it's writing a book, one of the things, and this again comes back to storytelling. When I was able to write down, you know, pen and paper, my miserable failures that I had, I let that energy go. I let that self-doubt go. I let that fear of what other people thought of me, because it really doesn't matter what other people think of you, right? It only matters what we think of ourselves. Right. So right. this is an, an, another thing is if there's somebody listening today and you're afraid of what somebody else is thinking of you, I would invite you to, you know, may perhaps look inwardly and think, okay, what is it that I think of myself about this? How can I feel good about myself, regardless of this situation, right? So that miserable failure, you know, propelled me into owning several yoga studios, I owned a, co a coaching company that helped yoga studios 
attract, enroll, and retain students. Uh, we generated over $40 million in sales. I've trained nearly 7,000 yoga teachers over the years. So the only way, though, that I got there is this idea that I was a miserable failure. They were going to cut off my legs. I had this terrible health condition. I was broke, all these different things. But by learning this new skill as a result of that failure, it propelled me into serving the world in a whole new way. Right. Right, Michael. Uh, you have put it in such a nice way in, with a great perspective. And I'm sure it is in such a great manner that anybody can understand that why failures sometimes should not be looked as failures, but they are all, you know, as you said in your, your, your podcast, you know, falling up secrets. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, you, you, you know, even Yogananda, you know, when, when, when you read some of his materials, Autobiography of Yogi and in some of those other books, he talks about the failure and those things in life in I have to go back I'm, I'm, it's interesting because I was reading about Steve Jobs again last night and you know Steve gave that book to everybody at his funeral when he passed he gave that book and reportedly it was the only book on Steve Jobs iPad was Autobiography of a Yogi and he read it constantly right and when, when you take that idea, and again, going to the Indian stories, the Mahabharata and then the, the other stories, is they really talk about, you know, really a change in a mindset, you know, that, that connection with spirit, that connection with God, higher power, how, however somebody wants to, to define it. But to be of best service to the world, I believe that in most cases, we need to suffer first, so to speak. We need to have those problems. You know, Steve Jobs had plenty of problems. And then he believed that through the Kriya Yoga and through the studying of the Yogananda material and self-realization fellowship, etc., that those ideas help propel him forward to be able to serve the world in the way that he did and to bring this little device called the iPhone and, you know, the Mac, I, I have Mac computers, right? I believe it's the best computer in, in the world. Some people would say PC, but, you know, we, we all have our preferences, right? But he was able, and again, he credits the development through the meditation and through the intuition, through his failures, that this is what came out of that. So in many ways, yes, yeah, Steve Jobs may have been in the United States creating this, but this is really an Indian invention, so to speak, coming from the belief systems of India. Powerful. Right? right? Yeah, yeah. This 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 is originating from India. It is it is fine. It's the is the way you can look at it, but the knowledge is of the world. Yeah. And that's what we look uh, we look at it's like uh, indians or indian culture uh, has always looked at things from a global perspective vasundev kutumbam the world is a family and everything belongs to everybody that's why we call it and it's it's a great 
uh, what you call principle for everybody to see it in that direction, in the way it is, like we call it Mother Earth. Mm. We have been, uh, now everybody uses this, Mother Earth, when we talk of climate change, when we talk of disasters or everything, that we are destroying Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. In Indian context, and I'm sure you know about it, we call it Dharti Ma. We have been calling it as Goddess Earth or Mother Earth. It's the same thing since ages. Yeah. But now with climate change, people are trying to understand. So as I said, knowledge is of the world. Mahabharat yeah. and Bhagavad Gita is for the world, for the humanity. It is nothing to do with any particular religion, any particular place or anything. Knowledge is knowledge. It's like if, 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 if Microsoft is making something, then we also are using it in India. It's knowledge in a way. And it's the same way. We cannot escape from this whole understanding. So coming to, you know, Mike, uh, Michael about speaking and people who are afraid to share about their issues, about so-called failures, I call them so-called, then how do they overcome? You are a great, you know, trainer in terms of public speaking. But a lot of people uh, only talk to themselves. And that too, not enough. So yeah. how do they share problems with others, with family, with friends? And also if they use that whole understanding of, the, uh, of what goes inside them, if they can share with the world, then perhaps they will be a different person. Like you are talking about your so-called failures. Yeah. And you also talk about sufferings that they, they are part. But actually, if I look at it, uh, I look at it in a manner, uh, Michael, is that suppose even if I get the best food in front of me, but if I have not tasted hunger, how will I know that, uh, how will I be able to taste the most delicious dish in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. Same I, with I, water. Yeah. I, I, I like that. You know, one of the things that I have found is, you know, there's a lot of energy about putting pen to paper and just writing. So one of the things that I do, and perhaps, you know, I'll, I'll give an idea for the listeners to perhaps an idea that, that you can use here. And it doesn't matter whether you're struggling with talking to other people about it or you just want to explore a little bit more is to take your life. Say you're 50 years old, you divide it into five. So then you've got 10 years and don't worry too much about whether you're 52 or 49. You know, just, you know, you may, maybe the last one is if you're 52, it's 12 years. But so you've got one to 10 years old, 11 to 20, et cetera, and go back to each one of those periods and pick out three things that stand out to you about those different periods. So three things from up to 10 years old, three things from 11 to 20, three things from 21 to 30, et cetera. Something that sticks out to you. Oftentimes, what will initially happen is what jumps out at people is some type of um, adversity, some type of struggle. Well, this happened. My, my, my parents uh, 
weren't nice to me. Uh, my neighbor beat me up. I mean, it could be all, you know, what, whatever it might be. So that might be okay. So do that. But if you find that that's going on, also go back to each one of those time periods and find three things that were positive, so to speak. You know, that that happened that was really good. You graduated with honors from high school. Um, you learned how to, you know, you learned how to ski at seven years old. Um, so, you know, get in that balance idea, you know, and really take some time to write each one of these out. And I'll, I'll give an example of this. When I learned this technique many years ago, one of the things that I actually realized is my entrepreneurial journey started when I was six years old. I didn't think it started that early. You know, I was always telling these other entrepreneurial stories. But what I realized by going back is we had blackberries. We had some property. We had a bunch of blackberries and mom would make blackberry pie. All the kids in the neighborhood wanted to come because Mrs. Harris made the best blackberry pies in the world. Right. So my dad was an entrepreneur and he always says, find something people want to buy and sell it to them. Right. So all the kids in the neighborhood wanted to get pies from Mrs. Harris for my mom. So. I made a little deal with my mom. I said, look, mom, I says, I'll pick the berries. You make the pies and I'll go around door to door and sell them for a dollar. Right. So and I sold a lot. And I I, I kind of jokingly say that this was in the in the early 60s that the Girl Scouts, at least in the States, the Girl Scouts in the States stole my line because they started asking people how many cookies do you want to buy? I used to say that with my pies. It wasn't, do you want to buy a pie? It was, how many do you want to buy? Why don't you freeze one if you got something coming up? You need one. This is at six years old, right? So the reason I tell this is, so for the listeners, when you're going back and you're writing out your stories, and don't think about it other than you're just writing out your stories, is find those things that you didn't really expect, like I didn't expect that to come up, but the thought came in, that memory came in. But the only way that memory came in is by starting that process. Well, now I can take that story and I can tell that the Blackberry entrepreneur story in a couple of minutes or an hour. So I can now take that story and talk about it in different ways. The same thing goes with the stories of adversity. I can talk about how I used to drink and all the problems that it caused. I can do that in just saying, oh, I used to drink a lot and cause problems. That's a story right there. Or I can get into all the details of the story and talk about it for hours, right? So, the, the reason that this is important is especially if somebody that's listening and you, you want to find a way to, to move through some of these challenges that we have is to just sit down again, take your life, divide it by 
uh, five and see how many years and start to break that up. Take three um, story ideas. Again, you can take three stories of adversity, three stories of success or positives, however you want to define that, and see what comes up. Oftentimes, just doing that process, you could write a book. Right. You know, the, 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 the life, my life stories and what I learned from them. You can be a keynote speaker. My life stories and what I learned from them and how you can be a better entrepreneur. How you can, you know, take the subject, any subject, right? So you're, you're taking those stories, oftentimes of miserable failures, and turning them really into your superpower. And as I began to understand that idea, it's just like, you know, I, I don't want to get too re, too religious, but this is more a spiritual concept is, you know, take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness, right? So if, if I can take my miserable failures, overcome them, and then help somebody else, I've been of service to the world. Right. Does that make sense? Right, right. A lot of sense. Yeah. A lot of sense, Michael. And in fact, you know, uh, let me ask you this. You see, uh, people who stumble a bit and sometimes you fall, they, so, uh, many of them uh, just get up, brush up, and they just uh, are ready for the next, uh, you can say, rise or fall. Yep. But many get very fearful. It's like, you know, people keep on feeding their monkey mind. Uh-huh. And they, so they, and, and they don't know how to stop it. So first, to understand from you, why do they do this and how can they stop this? Yeah, I, I, I want to tell you, I learned about the monkey mind in Agra. Um, we're there and what, what's the hotel? Agra Palace. I can't remember the, the name of the hotel that we're staying at. Nice property, nice hotel. And, right. you know, there's monkeys running around, it. you know. And, you know, they have the, the long bamboo sticks, the monkey sticks. Or I'm not sure exactly what they call them anymore. And, you know, they say, close your sliding glass door because they would have a bowl of bananas and, you know, apples and fruits sitting there. And, of course, the monkeys want to eat it. Right. And so, like, one of the people I was traveling with, they had left their sliding glass door open. And, of course, they were in the shower. They came out of the shower and the room was filled with monkeys and all their fruit was gone. My door was closed and the monkeys were jumping up against the windows and they couldn't get to them. So the point of this is, you know, the monkey mind. When I used to have monkeys coming into my mind, so to speak, scratching and kicking, you know, I would put more bananas out there thinking, oh, I'm satisfying them. I'm making them happy. Well, what I found out is more monkeys came. So what I had to do was to empty my bowl of fruit in my mind so they would no longer come, right? Those, there was nothing there that they wanted anymore. If I had no bananas in my mind, what were they going to come and eat, right? And again, this process that I told you about writing can help us get rid of that. The simple process. And I think the simpler, the better in most cases. I don't know if I answered your question. 
Did I answer your you question? Did. Okay. You, you did. You did. One thing is that how do they stop this uh, monkey mind, that thing from acting? Because people have this issue. If a lot of people in different settings, whether at home, uh, in personal relationships, in businesses, in workplaces, or even with in any setting, as you see, people tend to, you know, move, keep on thinking and thinking. And it's all like, you know, going round and round and round. And if they don't know how to break that chain. That's why I asked you specifically, how do you break this particular chain so that you can start afresh? Right. Yeah. Well, I know for each person, it may be a little bit different. For for me, what helped me break the chain um, was the practice of yoga, the practice of meditation, the writing, the willingness to get my story out. And um, I, I happen to have this here in this. I'm right. not just falling down, to, getting up. Right, falling down, getting up. I'm not just trying to promote it, but my point is it took me this much not that many pages, right? To get my story out and tell about my failures. And by telling my failures and then talking about some successes, that monkey mind started to dissipate. I don't know if it ever goes away. I, you know, part of human nature, you know, wants to have that. We get addicted to that, those challenges that we have and how do we get rid of that addiction 100 percent? i don't know it might be the the final cure for that maybe death maybe passing you know but it's it's what can we do to live with it and be an observer of it rather than reacting to it and saying well because i have this thought because this person said this that must mean I'm bad. That must mean I'm going to kick and scream versus, you know, the idea of um, like Yogananda or others is um, become an observer of those thoughts, you know, rather than attaching ourselves to the thoughts. And, you know, the monkeys will grab a hold of that thought and make it a lot bigger normally make it a lot bigger than what it really is. You know, this idea of don't sweat the small stuff and it's all small stuff, I find is more and more true. <clears throat> yeah, there are some big challenges in the world, but many of the remedies are simple. Right. Many remedies are simple. And if we look at our failures, so-called failures or stumbling, when if you have stumbled on, then we got to look at it in a fresh light and you should look at something where you can learn from. As you know, as Jack Canfield, uh, Chicken Soap for the soul, uh, soul, he said that your mess is your message. Yep. And then yeah. you... Jack's yes. picture is, that's me and Jack right there. Right. 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 I can yeah. see it in this window, but when it goes bigger... I will be able to see him, uh, see both of you in a better, better, better yeah. frame. Yeah. Okay. In, yeah. in a bigger frame. So yeah. he he went on to uh, came to your book launch also, and your book was falling down, getting up. 
-hmm. So most of the people or so many people, when they fall or stumble, they are either ashamed of it, they don't want anybody to know. It. So how can uh, they make a message out of it, how they can be proud of that mess and create a message for themselves as well as others, they can be proud of sharing. And that is where the public speaking part also comes in, that how can somebody who is ashamed or so-called ashamed about something can uh, is able to share it with the world, either in the form of a book, either in form of a note, or either in form of a anything public speaking. That's where your life is, a, is full of so many examples of this whole stuff. Yeah. Um, what's coming up right now, you know, there's this thinking about law of attraction, right? And this whole spiritual, um, all the spiritual ideas around that. And, you know, Jack didn't say this. Jack was in the, the book, The Secret. My brother was also a contributor in the book, The Secret. But John Asaraf was also in there too, as well as some, some others. And John came up with another one. And I would invite anybody from India if, if what this is, but he came up with the terminology, the law of Goya. And the law of Goya, G-O-Y-A, is get off your ass. Right? <laughs> right? So my, my point here is like the law of attraction only gets activated when you get off your ass. You got to take action. You can't sit there on the couch and expect Aunt Mabel to drop $10 million on you one day. You know, it's probably not going to happen. You're not going to be able to move through the challenges, the stumbles, the monkey mind without taking some type of action. The action might be as simple as beginning a meditation process. The action may be taking a 20 minute walk every day. The action may be writing out some of these ideas as, as we've talked about. The idea may be practice of yoga. The idea is to eat less. The idea might be able to eat more, just depending. I mean, so it, it's really such a, a personal mission that each person has to discover. So the action that they, that an individual has to take, what I do may be different than what you do or, or what somebody else is listening to do, but some type of action needs to be decided upon. And even if it's the wrong action, you'll know it and it you can correct it as you go. So even the wrong action is really not a wrong action. It's an action of lesson. It, it right. guides us on the path. So going back to Steve Jobs, that idea of the Kriya Yoga and the meditation and the idea of the intuition and in developing the iPhone, I mean, he stumbled many times along the way. But he kept adjusting the path, adjusting the path to what the intuition was guiding him to do. Again, I can go on and on. We can talk all day about this. No, no problem. But right now, no, we are we are on the right right way. No problem, right path. So yeah. 
talking of the right path, I just was wondering what made you come to India when you talk of yoga, you talk of Yogananda and then, so what is it that, uh, obviously you got introduced to yoga much before that, but what made you come to India and how was your experience? Like, what did you, uh, what did you see here? What did you learn of uh, about India, about yourself? Yeah. That, the stories, again, are endless with that. Um, I came, you know, I, I went through the uh, Bikram Yoga teacher training in 1998 with Bikram Chaudhary. And um, I was one of the original first 100 Bikram teachers. And now there's 20,000 or however many there are now. Love or hate hot yoga, doesn't matter, right? Um, so Bikram put a trip together with Bikram and his wife, Rajashree, and a small group of teachers. And we went over and traveled through India. You know, I, I landed in, uh, it was called more Bombay back then, but Mumbai and went to, um, oh, why, why can't, Sabrota Roy Sahara's um, Lake Palace. It's, it's about three hours outside of Mumbai, up in the mountains. And MB Valley. MB Valley, yes, yes, thank you, MB Valley. And right. I, I flew in, landed. I'm not going to tell you every single thing because, again, we'll be here not all day but all week. Um, landed, and I was all by myself. It was midnight. I didn't know what was going to happen. Some guy is out there holding a sign that says Bikram Harris, right? And I went, oh, that's me. So, and I didn't know that we were driving three hours to get to this place. I thought it was a 20-minute drive to whatever hotel it was. So he puts me in the back of the car. You know, by now it's about one o'clock in Mumbai. And, you know, it might as well be four in the afternoon rush hour traffic, right? Everybody's honking their horns and the driver doesn't speak English, but the, the escort does. And, you know, there's cows and there's buses and, you know, honk your horn so I see you. And, you know, the driver's going, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking, my, my, he's got a calm mind. How does he have <laughs> such a calm mind? We're going to be like, oh, no, you know, we're going to hit this. They're going to hit. And, of course, none of that happened. And he just, again. If, if you want to get rid of the monkey mind, become a taxi driver in Mumbai. Because it's the only way you can get through it, right? Just to have a calm mind and to go through all of that energy, right? So we, we end up in, in Ambi Valley about four or five o'clock in the morning and these beautiful women in their long and the long dresses and such greeted me like, I was some kind of movie star or something. And I'm just thinking, wow, this is some place, right? So the reason I say that is because I think about Mumbai and I think about the great poverty there. And I call it the, the blue tarp tent cities, you know, next to, you know, I don't know what, what, what it is now, but at one time, Mumbai had the greatest concentration of millionaires of anywhere in the world. I don't know if that's still the case, but it was then. So here's this great wealth and this great poverty right next to each other, right? And ending up in this place that this 
the grandeur. I don't know if you've been to Ambi Valley or some of the listeners have, but it's a it's a remarkable place. Yes, I've been there once. Uh, right. Yeah. In 2003 around. Yeah. So part of what I discovered was that great disparity and, you know, without we got into some discussions about why that happens. And I know it's it's changing some. There's more of a middle class a little bit now than there was then. Um, but just, you know, even seeing things like uh, Rajasthan, going through Rajasthan, I had no idea about the size of these castles. And, you know, just like it was remarkable. And, you know, traveling through Rajasthan and Delhi and Old Delhi and New Delhi and... We ended up in Kolkata and, um, you know, I remember at one point Raja Sri Bikram's wife at the time said, can we stop going to so many temples? I've seen so many temples. <laughs> you know, they were everywhere. And then ending up at um, uh, being in Kolkata and because Bikram came through um the yoga college and his teacher uh, was Bishnu Ghosh, which was Paramahanda's brother. You know, he was Makunda Ghosh. And so we, we went to the Ghosh home and all of that and, and was able to, to meet much of the family of Paramahansa Yogananda. And so I really felt like I really got to the roots of some of what I was learning in my personal practice, yoga practice, as well as my growth as a teacher, my understanding as a teacher. Um, you know, I've heard some people call Kolkata, you know, the armpit of India, which I think is a terrible description. I don't like that anyway. Um, but. I found, you know, they had these huge boulevards and parts of it were really clean. And yeah, we ended up into some areas that weren't quite that way. And uh, Mother Teresa's um, uh, facility there. And, you know, and then seeing the street kids, you know, that didn't have anything that were happy and smiling. Regardless, they didn't know. Right. And just but they were still happy and seeing these people that didn't have money or being on the banks of the Gandhi and, um, you know, going into the water and refreshing themselves spiritually. And um, it was just it, it was it gave me a huge shift, you know, in many places where there was pictures of. Um, various gurus and Babaji and, you know, a lot of these gurus. And then you had a picture of Christ in there too. And the story of Christ in India. And um, I didn't realize was, was like that, what, what I now understand differently than I did prior to that. trip. Um, you know, it's just like, it goes on, on and on, you know, um, being, I think it was, the old Delhi area, I think it was Delhi, where, and I don't remember the, the name of the particular sect or group, but there was um, men that were naked that were walking around this 
huge statue of Buddha. Do you know what I'm talking about? And they had bowls, and they didn't they don't they didn't own anything but a bowl for food right. for people right. to give them. Do you remember what that? Do you know what what I'm talking yeah, about? It's a, it's, it's a particular sect. If you are talking about Buddha, then it's a particular sect within uh, Buddhism itself. They believe in you know a minimal uh, right. sort of yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah. But just you know, and seeing that, and just feeling like. Wow, there's so much here. And that's where I I just really, you know, appreciate, you know, the country of India and the culture and the diversity. And yeah, there's challenges and problems and, and all that there, but it all melds together somehow. Right? And out of it comes this incredible wisdom and these incredible stories of life, of overcoming you know, all these falls, you know, how can you keep going even when these things are going on? Well, India is a prime example of that, you know, continuing to go, you know, how these difficult challenges are there, yet you're still able to survive. Remarkable. Again, so many different levels to this. Right. Right, Michael. It's all, uh, you see, all this knowledge, all this wisdom is part of daily life. Mm -hmm. And perhaps the biggest, if you are, I also try and understand uh, my own country, but I look at it also from a, a student point of view. What exactly, how people can still be happy. So because the thing is that if you, as you said, you can't keep on thinking the same thing every time. Then it becomes even the most happiest moment will become a troublesome moment because you keep on thinking about it. It's, it's like the waters of river Ganges. You let it flow and it will cure you of all the diseases and everything. Yeah. If you hold it, then it will become stagnant. Yeah. So thoughts are also like that. Life is also like that. Whether you are happy or sad, the fact is that these are all momentary. Yeah. And when you know that this is all momentary, then you know, as you say in English, this shall also pass. This too will pass. Yeah. You know, and how do you make a moment uh, everlasting? It yeah. can only happen. A good moment everlasting is only because you strengthen your mind. Yeah. Like in one moment, you have the hell and you have the heaven. Yeah. Suppose you have got a you, you have got a great news, and in this and you are very happy. And in the and and you suddenly in the same moment you get a call which gives you a bad news. Then you become extremely sad. So what? How do you be, become better when you uh, when you over uh, over grow up? about this, that these things will not affect you or make you so elated or so happy or so sad. That's what I understand. Uh, that's the way I try to see life. And maybe a lot many see it that way. As you said, you did not agree with what the doctors said. Yeah. You did not be with them in that moment of theirs yeah. and created your own moment in that moment when they were telling you something which was not great for you. Right. That's perhaps life is. And 
you know, there is so much to talk, as you said, and we can keep on talking. But as I said, there is only a few things you can talk in this 30, 40 minutes. But the talk will always continue, like the river Ganges will always keep on flowing, even though it knows that it has to flow to the uh, to the what you uh, to the ocean to the uh, and where where it will meet with what salty waters. But that's the life is. You yeah. have to meet the uh, your destiny. Yeah. You have to meet your destiny. But to understand from you, Michael, my last question is: What do you mean? You know, by, by you're saying one more heart, open heart in the world is one mm. more open heart in the world. I I have a dish in the other room, you know, kind of a bowl. You know, I opened up my first yoga studio in 1999, and one of the students brought me this bowl. And I had been saying, using that saying a lot, one more open heart in the world is one more open heart in the world as what I teach, and especially towards the end of class and Savasana and such. And she brought me this bowl and wrote this on the bowl. And it's, you know, it's a prized possession today. But it's like, if we allow our hearts to truly be open to the best of our ability and allow ourselves to open, we're going to have a lot more light in the world. And, you know, there's a lot of challenges, obviously, in the world right now. And things are speeding up, especially right now. Things seem to be going faster and faster every day. News is traveling, you know, in an instant now rather than taking a month to get somewhere. And I just believe as individuals that if we allow ourselves to open up to open our mind, to make that connection, to open our heart. You know, we have the opportunity to be kind versus being right. I'd much rather be kind to people than being right about something. And kindness is really important. There's so many places in the world right now where people are not even allowed to tell their story. I mean, you, in certain places right now, you even say the word war, you can go to jail for 15 years. Somehow we need to find a new way. And I believe it's, for me, it's part of my responsibility to help as many people as possible to tell their stories of the world. Because my story, there could be a listener here where it helps them. There could be a listener here where it doesn't help them. But there could be somebody else that the stories that I say may not help somebody, but the stories you say might help somebody. Or, you know, all the guests that you have, you know, Stacy McAlpine, you know, she has, it was a great show. N Nikki Bilyeu, he's, he's a great person, you know, and you just have some great shows. So you're bringing these stories to the listeners of these different ideas and some of them are going to connect with some people and some aren't, you know, but as all of us are out there talking about our perception and where we are and what we thoughts are, I believe that if we can open up another heart in the world, that if somebody else is, is ready for that, the world's going to be a better place regardless of anything else that might happen. 
I mean, that love, that kindness, that heart opening, I believe is important. And um, apparently I'm not through yet, even though I was told many times years ago, decades ago, that I was gonna die, you know, I'm not through yet, I'm still here. So if, if I can help one more person open a heart, if, you know, Stacy or Nikki or you or anybody else can help open up one more heart, and it's normally our heart. Right. You know, right. the world's going to be a better place, period. Your message, your message. Jack had that right, Jack Hanfield. Right, right. Talking of, you know, uh, everybody else's story. Let's talk about your story and your book. <laughs> You're falling down, getting up. So how does, how do people, yes. How do people, yes. It's a great, great book, Michael Harris. So, Michael, how do people get hold of this? Where do they buy this book? How can they do that? And also, how can they connect with you uh, so that they can get more of you? Okay. Uh, MichaelBHarris.com. It's that easy. Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, B, as in book, Harris.com, MichaelBHarris.com. By the way, I didn't realize there were so many Michaels in India until I got there. But uh, <laughs> anyway, that's another story. Um, and the book is really available from any bookseller in the, in the world, you, you can buy it. Um, on my website, the Michael B. Harris uh, website is, you can also, there's a little opt-in there uh, for endless stages and in, in what you, there's a whole bunch of free resources and information there that people can, can grab and to use and to start to get rid of the monkey mind and to start to, you know, take a look at their lives and their story and perhaps open up, you know, their heart or help somebody else open up theirs. We, we believe that, again, getting stories out right now is vital, period. Um, the other thing that I, I don't give this to all the podcasts I'm on, but if they go to michaelbharris.com forward slash book, if they don't want to buy a book, they can go there and download a free ebook copy. Um, that link is not, you can't see it anywhere else on any page on my website. Uh, so it's michaelbharris.com forward slash book. So they can just download a free copy. You know, I'd rather give it away for free and have somebody read it than have somebody not be able to buy it and not be able to read it. Because, you know, again, it could open up one more heart. Yes. One more open heart in the world is one more open heart in the world. Mm. With these great words of wisdom and with a great story of Michael Harris and with so many other motivating words, it's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.